If you have uh, your Bibles, I want to invite you to be opening to Romans chapter 3 in your New Testament. Romans uh, chapter 3 uh, will be there in just a moment. Uh, what is the best meal that you've had recently? What's the best meal uh, you've had recently? A couple weeks ago, uh, a group of ministers here in Birmingham, well, we got together and we went downtown to the Texas de Brazil, a Brazilian steakhouse not too far from here. And if you don't know about Texas de Brazil, uh, they, they are known for just continually bringing you meats. <laughs> and they just bring you these different cuts of, of meats. And so about five of us preachers were sitting around. Uh, we, we were just, we were meeting, all right? I mean, we were, we were having a good time. And if, you don't, if you've not been there before, they actually, they give you a, a coaster-like thing, and it's got a uh, a side that's red, and it's got a side that's green. Uh, so if you want them to bring you some more meat, uh, you leave it on green. If you want them to stop, uh, you know, if, if you begin <laughs> becoming uncomfortable, uh, you just turn it and put it on the red side, and they will stop uh, bringing you uh, the meat. Um, one of the things as we're walking uh, through Paul's letter to the Romans is that it's like being at Texas Day Brazil, uh, and you're just keeping that thing on green. Because Paul continues to, to, to bring the meat. Uh, he has continued to, to just pour this out in front of us. And this book really, uh, it's really like a four-course meal. Uh, we've talked about it being kind of like a symphony. It's also kind of like a meal. It's, it's like a four-course meal. And we're, we've just come out these past several weeks uh, of the first course. And now we're about to enter into the second course uh, of the meal. And uh, this, this meal is going to be uh, really, really good. Uh, Martin Luther claimed that this section of Romans, the verses that we're going to look at today, was the chief point, the very central place of the epistle and of the whole Bible. Uh, I want you to know that there is folks that are praying for you right now as we enter into God's Word, uh, that God will speak a word to you. Romans chapter 3, if you'll follow along with me, starting in verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Verse 27, where then is boasting? It is excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. 
Rather, we uphold the law. May God bless the reading of his word. Did you catch those first two words in this section? But now. Two very simple, small words, yet two words that have profound impact. Those words, but now, it marks the turning point, not only in Paul's letter, but in the entire story of God as Paul presents it. Martin Lloyd Jones, a British preacher, once said that there are no more wonderful words in the whole of Scripture than just these two words, but now. Uh, We have been walking through uh, the first course of the meal, as I told you a moment ago, these first couple chapters in the book of Romans, I I remind you, and I I sound like a broken record, but there were not chapters and verses when this was originally written, but there is a a rhythm to it. There is a a, a symphony to it that's that's happening. And and so these first two chapters, uh, Paul has has been talking about uh, just, just this reality of the human predicament. Uh, Remember, we uh, equated uh, or or paralleled rather Romans 1 and 2 uh, to the, the story of the prodigal son. Uh, you, you have uh, the, the lost brother, but you also have the older brother. Uh, you have those that are completely lost uh, in sin. You also have those that, that think that they are not just the exception uh, to the rule. They think that they're the solution to the rule. Uh, and, and Paul's coming on the scene and saying, hey, both of you, no. <laughs> uh, th- th- this, is, this is what is, is, is going to bring you together, what we're going to talk about here today. This is what's going to put you right with God. This is this, this un- unveiling of the human predicament, and now Paul's coming to, here's, here's some things that we're, we're linking into this, but now. That human beings, we've, we've proven to be unfaithful and unjust, but Paul's about to narrate the revelation of God's righteousness or saving justice that's manifested in Christ's death and made available through all and through the gospel that he proclaims. And he's not, uh, he's not leaving this idea of, of the resurrection. We, we sang about this just a moment ago. We sang about uh, the risen Savior. And so you remember back in chapter 1, uh, Paul really, really starts out this letter talking about uh, the risen Savior. And on, on Easter Sunday, we walk through the seven resurrection truths that are found in the book of Romans. And next week when we get in chapter 4, uh, Paul's going to more explicitly talk about uh, the resurrection of Jesus once again. Uh, so I don't want us to lose sight of, of that. Uh, but we have to understand some things that Paul is, is saying here in this latter part of Romans chapter 3. And one of the things that he's, he's talking about is God's righteousness. And I think we would do well to understand God's righteousness as God's saving covenant faithfulness. This attribute of God that, that issues in, in action. Uh, so I want us to just reflect on this word covenant just, just for a moment. Because uh, I think it will help us as we think about the text today. Uh, often when I, when I meet with couples going through premarital counseling and we're talking about uh, not, not just the wedding day, but we're talking about what, it, what is a, a marriage? What does, it, what does it mean? What does it begin to, to look like? What shape does it begin to take? And, and one of the, the words that we talk about in that time is this word covenant. And so I think we would do well to, in order to understand what covenant is, is, is to understand what it's not. 
And so when we think about these two different terms, we, we, we can think about uh, this, this term contract and we can think about this, this term uh, covenant. And so particularly, uh, as, just as an example, talking about it in, in the marriage relationship, you'll, you'll see this, this, this difference between a contract and a covenant. So a, a contract is, is based on what? It's based on an agreement. You know, so you, you agree to do something, I'd agree to do something. As long as, as we agree to do what we agree to do, then, then, then we're going to be okay. But, but covenant's based on what? It's based on promise. Contract is, is something that works if, if both are satisfied. You know, if I get what I want, and then you get what you want, then we're, we're both satisfied. And this, this contract thing uh, will work. Covenant works as both honor what? Honor their promise contract, it reinforces this consumer mentality. Uh, I would like to say that the, the consumer mentality has been removed from the church, but if we're honest, it has not. Uh, we come in with a consumer mentality. Uh, we, we do a consumer mentality uh, usually Monday through Saturday, and so we, we come in Sundays, we do a consumer mentality as well. Uh, but a, a contract would say, yes, that is the mentality that you should have, but a covenant doesn't reinforce consumer mentality. Covenant reinforces commitment mentality. And so that, that's a little bit of the, the idea of covenant in, in a marriage, but what about a covenant as we see it laid out in God's Word through the narrative of Scripture? Uh, back in Genesis, you'll see uh, several passages on the screen, several chapters to look up. Genesis 6, 8, God says, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark. This is before the flood. Genesis 9, after the flood, I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of what? Of the covenant between me and the earth. Genesis 17, God establishes a what? A covenant with Abraham. I told you we'll talk about Abraham next week because that's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 4. But Exodus 24, this is what? This is the blood of the covenant. This is this foreshadowing that is taking place in the Old Testament. Exodus 30, uh, we read about what? The ark of the covenant. Right. So it's a word that's very familiar uh, in the pages of Scripture. And then we get to the New Testament, Jesus says in, in Matthew 26 and Mark 14 and Luke 22, as he institutes the communion meal, that this is, this is the blood, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for, for many. Uh, author Michael Gorman uh, would say it this way, if you'll go to the next slide on the screen, that Paul believes that all human beings were created in the image of God. Uh, the Imago Dei, the image of God, and given the breath of life from God. As such, they were both to give glory, honor, and praise to God, and also to be individually and corporately an outgoing and ongoing, this representation of God and God's presence on earth. God's glory is to be displayed in God's people. So this covenant is, is, is not just a, a one-way covenant. Now, the reality is, is that, that God is, is always faithful in His covenant. Uh, we're the ones who have been unfaithful in the covenant. 
Did you ever notice in that story, in the, the story of the prodigal son? Did you ever, ever notice how, how changing the, the dynamics of the sons are? You, you've got the, the lost son who's gone away. He's, he, he's squandered all that his inheritance. You've got the older son who's, who's just, you know, staunch and, and, and you know, is not going to go into the party because he believes that he's, he's been faithful all this time. You, and, and what's the one unchanging thing throughout the story of the prodigal son? It's the love of the father. The love of, of the father never changes. When, when the son leaves and, and takes, takes his inheritance and, and, and begins to go, who, who, know, do, who, who knows what? God's love doesn't change. The father's love doesn't change. When the older brother is, is set in his, his ways and he's going he's gonna to stand for hey, the father's love doesn't change. He still is inviting that son too to the party. And so, in verse 21, the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God has been made known. We would do well to understand God's righteousness as God's saving covenant faithfulness. Uh, but secondly, some, some scholars would suggest that we would do better to translate faith in Christ as the faith or the faithfulness of Christ. This appears most succinctly uh, in verse 22, if you're looking there in Romans chapter 3, that the righteousness of God through the faith of Jesus Christ for all who believe or have faith, or said another way, the, the faithful justice of God through the faithfulness of Jesus the Messiah for all who respond with faithfulness, this believing allegiance, the obedience of faith as, as Paul would talk about back in Romans chapter 1, verse 5. And this gospel, this good news, creates a whole new mindset. So the sermon in, in two words is but now, as we've already described. But Paul's phrase, apart from the law, if you look back in verse 21, or apart from the works of the law, as he says in verse 28, uh, shows us that, that right standing before God cannot be earned by doing good works, by following either Jewish laws or some other standard of laws, following the rules cannot save you. And some of us were brought up with a Jesus plus idea of salvation. Uh, so maybe you were taught that you had to read from a particular translation of the Bible or else it didn't count. Uh, maybe you were taught or been told that, that you can only worship uh, a certain way or it does not make God happy. Uh, in a few weeks, Dr. John Mark Hicks during Bible class is going to talk about this idea of, of how we interpreted the scriptures in his book, Searching for the Pattern. I hope you'll be there or here for that. Or maybe we've been taught that God only works in this certain way. This is some of what's happening in, in John chapter 5. Uh, this has been a passage that I've been meditating on now for, for several months. Uh, this, this scene where Jesus encounters this man at, at the pool of, of Bethesda. Uh, a few weeks ago, I went down to uh, First Light, which is a 
woman and children's uh, shelter that's uh, downtown. And uh, my daughter and I went, and we, we just sat around this group of, of ladies, and we, we just talked about and, and studied John chapter 5 and, and this scene at the pool of Bethesda where, where this, this man who hasn't been able to walk for, for 38 years, uh, some of y'all have been going through some stuff. You've been going through some stuff, and it's been a long time. Maybe it's been 38 years. Maybe it's been less, but you've been, you've been going through some things. And, and this, this man was, was going through this infirmity for 38 years. And Jesus just, I love the boldness of Jesus, just walks straight up to him. Says, hey, do you want to get well? Do you want to be healed? And what does the man say? He, he says, well, sir, there, there's, there's no one to, to help me to get to the water. And, and anytime I try to get to the water, there's, there's people that get in front of me and they don't let me get to the water. He knew this man knew how God worked, and this was the only way, so he thought, the only way that God could work. And so what does Jesus say? <laughs> he says, pick up your mat and walk. And when Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk, you're no longer worried about getting into the waters. Because they, they believe that once the, the waters stirred, if you got into the water, that, that that's how you were healed. That's the way that God worked. That's the only way that God worked. That was God in a box. We've got this figured out. We're right. Hmm. But Jesus said, you don't know how I work. <laughs> Pick up your mat and walk. And after 38 years, this man picks up his mat and he walks. And then what happens? Then these older brothers, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> what you doing picking up your mat on the Sabbath? Like, don't you see this man just got up and walked after 38 years? See, see, the man knew how God worked. The older brothers knew how God didn't work. God did not work when you disobeyed the law, the rules, the oral tradition. And both the man who knew how God worked, and the older brothers who knew how God didn't work, both were wrong. Because when this man encountered Jesus, and Jesus flips the script, it's not Jesus plus the pool of Bethesda, it's Jesus. Look at me. Pick up your mat and walk. And the Bible says at once he was cured. He never touched the water. All he needed was Jesus. 
The spirit of legalism crushes people. It does not liberate them. It's a false gospel. And by, by saying this, Paul is not disrespecting the law. The law, it shows us our need for a Savior. No one can obey the law perfectly. And this is not a new idea. Paul's going to show this from the life of, of Abraham in chapter 4, that justification has always been by faith apart from the works of law. I've used him before, I'll use him again. Author Tim Keller says it this way, that, that the wonder of the cross is that in the very same stroke, it satisfies both the love of God and the justice of God. At the very same moment, it shows us that God is both the judge who cares enough about his world to set standards and hold us accountable to them, and the justifier who has done everything necessary to forgive and restore us. And this is a gift that makes no sense to those with unbelief. I said several weeks ago that even 500 years before Jesus puts on skin and dwells among us, the great philosopher Socrates, or as Bill and Ted would call him, Socrates, right? Socrates says, it may be that, that deity can forgive sins, but I do not see how. He was thinking about this predicament 500 years ahead of Christ. John Barclay makes this observation in his book that human beings do not give the costliest gifts to worthless people. The death of Christ for the ungodly confounds the normal expectation of a congruous gift. Thus, as a divine gift given to all in the death of Christ, an act of love for the wholly unworthy, Paul figures the Christ gift as the ultimate incongruous gift. And aren't you thankful that the wisdom of God overrides the foolishness of his people. C.S. Lewis explores the same idea more imaginatively in the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, a, a book that our family has come to love, all seven books in the Chronicles of the Narnia series. And, and so because of selfishness and greed, a little boy named Edmund has fallen into the hands of a wicked witch and the lion Aslan cannot, even with all his immense power, rescue the boy, for he must acknowledge what they call the magic. The law of nature that has given the witch power over the boy, but there is a deeper magic from the dawn of time that enables one who dies willingly for someone else to take on that person's punishment and let them go free. Thus Aslan allows the wicked witch to execute him, saving Edmund's life. And what the Wicked Witch did not realize was that from the creation of time, God had ordained for this to happen and that the great lion Aslan would rise again. Uh, many of us have a hard time remembering just how joyous the but now transition is. I mean, if, if we're honest, sometimes the good news becomes old hat, and we lose this sense of wonder and awe that we first had when we understood that God has adopted us into his family. And when we stop and think of, of why this is, it's, it's really 
two reasons that Paul touches on in these chapters. One, we fail to remember who we are. That we are image bearers of an almighty God, that we are created in his image, that we are his. And then number two, we fail to remember who God is. And so I don't want just my words to fall on you this morning. I want us to to let the pages of Scripture speak a word over us today. And I believe somebody needs to hear this this morning. You need to let the Word of God speak and, and that this Word will not return void. Galatians 4, 8 and 9. I want you to look for that phrase, but now. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Ephesians 2, starting in verse 12. Remember that at this time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Ephesians 5.8. For you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the world. So live as children of light. Colossians 1, starting in verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. 1 Peter 2 and 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 1 Peter 2, 25. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Church, what if we actually lived the but now this week? What if we actually lived it? Can you imagine if Jesus' followers all over Birmingham not only read about the but now, but started living it? Uh, this week, um, a few of us were able to, to go out to Pepperdine University for the Pepperdine Lectures, and Honestly, it's, it's been a, a tough season uh, in the Homewood family. We've, we've had several folks just walking through just some, some really difficult times. And, and I, my soul was, was in, in need of just some refreshment. And, 
And the theme for the week was, was that God loves forever, and we were just reminded about that over and over and over again. And, and I got on the plane to, to come back uh, just this, uh, a few days ago on Friday, and uh, I'm sitting next to a young lady, and she's, um, she's kind of looking at what I'm—it's hard to, you know, it's hard on a plane just to, to have any kind of private space, right? Because, <laughs> I mean, just right there. And so I'm, I'm having my laptop up. I'm working on my sermon, and, and uh, she says, oh, are, are, you a, are you a minister? And uh, I, said, uh, I said, yes, ma'am, I, I am. And, and she said, oh, well, that's great. And, and so we had a, started having the conversation, and, and I asked her if she had a, a church home, and she said she, she did, and it's been kind of hard to get back through uh, after, after the pandemic and, and COVID. But uh, she made this statement. She, just, she said, you know, I, I believe that we should be Christians everywhere we go. And I thought, wow. I said, that's, that's, that's a good word. And so, uh, Kristen, if you're watching today, because she said she was going to tune in online today, <laughs> if you're watching today, thank you for that word. You probably didn't know that you'd make the sermon, but uh, so thankful for that, that word, that yes, we, we should be this light um, anywhere that we go. I'm not saying that that's easy. There's circumstances that are going on in our lives that that don't make that, that easy, but I, I have seen, even in the midst of some of the, the situations that are going on in this very family, in this church right now, I've seen people step up. I've seen people take food to families. I've seen people cut somebody's grass. I've seen people uh, buy somebody a wheelchair. I've seen, I've seen people uh, rise up and, and, and do things, feed people that need food. I've seen people rise up and just be the but now people. And what an awesome opportunity that we have this very week to be those people to those that we come in contact with. And so that's my prayer uh, for us today. That's our, that's our takeaway today, that we will live this but now life. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to, to be your people. We thank you for this pivotal passage of Scripture. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. God, we're thankful for Jesus. And so we pray as he taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. And the church said, Amen. Amen.